John Hyman is a shareholder at Wickens Herzer Panza in Avon, Ohio, where he chairs the Employment and Labor Practice Group and co-chairs the Craft Beer Practice Group. John applies his 25 years of experience as a management side labor and employment lawyer to provide businesses proactive solutions to solve their workforce problems and reactive solutions when they find themselves litigating against an employee or a group of employees. John is also the author of the renowned and award-winning Ohio Employer Law Blog, an American Bar Association Blog Hall of Fame inductee, which he updates daily to provide businesses and human resources professionals breaking news and other updates on the ever-changing landscape of labor and employment law. John has appeared on the November 1999 episode of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, but sadly lacked the fastest fingers. We're also going to chat with John a little bit about employment law, but also about the podcast he started with his 16-year-old daughter. John, thanks for coming to What the Heck is Happening in HR. For our podcast disclaimer, please visit the episode description. John, thanks so much for coming on What the Heck is Happening in HR. We appreciate you being here. Uh, Kelly, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, I can't think of a better person to talk about this topic, and that is employee handbooks. So much is going on with it. Seems like um, I had a client the other day say, Kelly, can't we just do it and be done with it for a while? And that's what made me think we need to have a podcast on employee handbooks. So, John, what are we supposed to be worrying about with them? Can we just do them and set them aside? Tell me what we should be worrying about. Unfortunately, you can't do them and set them aside. I was just having this conversation with um, someone the other day in a resource group that I, uh, a monthly resource group that I participate in about, you know, the internet searching for employee handbooks and can't we just, you know, find one on the internet and kind of pull it off the digital shelf and, and print it and give it to our employees. And, or, you know, we did our employee handbook five years ago or 10 years ago, and that's good enough. Right. And the answer to all of that is no. (laughs) I mean, the, I mean, the law's I, and I'll, I, I guess I can break that into parts, and I'll take the second part first, which I think answers your original question, which is, I mean, the laws change so frequently, and if if you as a business are not, I mean, ideally, I'd want to take a look at a, at a client's handbook like monthly because that's how often the laws seem to change, but I, but no company, I mean, or let's let's get real. I mean, no company is is paying their counsel to do that. But I mean, ideally, I tell clients annually, realistically, I mean, every other year, but in a perfect world, once a year, I would be taking a look at a at a client's handbook to say, this changed, this changed. Um, you know, we we don't need this anymore. We need to add this, whatever. But, you know, the laws change so quickly and and nothing in the law is static. And if you if you have your, you know, handbook kind of on your shelf and you haven't updated it in the last, uh, you know, I would say year, two years for sure. But if you're like most companies that I talk to, it's 
it's, you know, it's, we're now what we're 2022 and it'll give me a handbook to review and it'll say like, you know, last revised, you know, 2017 or, or whatever. Um, you're, you're well behind because the law has changed so many times since then. And you just, you know, you just, you, your handbook needs to keep up, you know, needs to keep up with that. And in terms of the, you know, what I call the, the, the Google JD, that is, you know, <laughs> typing, you know, type, typing something into Google and, and get having the results spit out and kind of using that as your policy or your handbook. It's a great starting point, I suppose. But if you're not having your counsel review it, I mean, you don't know who wrote that. You don't know when it was written. You don't know for what state it was written. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have 50 different states plus the District of Columbia, and everyone has its own set of employment laws. Employment laws, there's some that are federal, um, but they're largely state-based. And if your um, handbook was not written for the state or states in which your business operates, you have no way to know um, if if it's compliant for your particular business. Um, and if you don't know when it was written, you don't know, you, you don't know whether it's compliant from that standpoint either. And so really dangerous for a business. I understand the, particularly for startups, small businesses, the desire to, you know, cut a corner and save, you know, some cash by trying to do it yourself. But the money that you will, the money that you will save is not worth the risk if you do it wrong. Yeah, I had a client who downloaded one. As star- I do a lot of work with the startups and the high-tech firms in the Tampa Bay area, and they downloaded one, and he goes, I, I don't I don't need, you know, anyone to do this for me. And I said, well, I always like doing what I can do and then having them sort of blessed off by an attorney because I'm not an attorney. I didn't sleep in a Holiday Inn Express. I don't, you know, don't have those smarts. And I know enough uh, to be dangerous and at least know I can clean it up to a point where they can um, just finesse it. And I read it, his handbook, and he's in Florida and it was from the state of Maryland. Yeah. And he said, oh, I never saw that. And I said, well, that's just one of the issues because Florida and Maryland are really different when it comes to employment law. So uh, I hear you, that whole bit about, you know, becoming a doctor, becoming a lawyer just by Googling it is really, really dangerous. Tell me about, do you have like three things in particular that you find that people forget about or don't look at or don't think is important? Number one on that list for sure is I would say in half, if not more of the handbooks that I review, that I'm given to review uh, by a client, they will have a policy in it that says something like uh, salaries and wages are confidential. It is a violation of company policy to discuss uh, your salary or how much you earn with a coworker you know, violators of this policy will be subject to discipline up to and including termination or something mm-hmm. like that, which is a 100% per se, no questions asked illegal policy. Mm-hmm. The National Labor Relations Act, um, which is the federal labor law that um, in, governs the relationship between companies and their labor unions, the labor unions that represent their employees. But in one instance, it covers all employees, whether they're collectively bargained or not. And that's in the area of what's called protected concerted activity, which is, uh, which means in layman's terms that employees have the right to talk about 
wages, hours, benefits, and other terms and conditions of employment with each other. Um, you can't, uh, lots of employers think that wages um, can be kept confidential. They can't be. Employees have the right to talk about how much they make with their coworkers under the National Labor Relations Act. And a policy that says you can't talk about how much you make uh, is just uh, just flat out and just unlawful under the National Labor Relations Act. So that's that's the number one mm-hmm. um, mistake I see. The number two mistake I see is either not having a sexual harassment policy or a workplace harassment policy, which is crazy to think that in 2022, particularly with the Me Too movement having kind of swept across the country over the last several years, that we don't, you know, there might be a handbook without a sexual harassment policy, but I still see them or having either non-discrimination or EEO or harassment policies that don't hit all of the classes uh, that the law protects. And this is where it can get really state specific. Um, but for, and I would say, for example, um, it's only been a few years since the U S Supreme court said that the definition of sex under title seven includes sexual orientation and gender identity. Uh, lots of handbooks that were written, um, before the Supreme court made that pronouncement, um, don't include LGBTQ, mm-hmm. Uh, plus status. Um, and so, uh, but there's lots of state, you know, some states protect marital status as a protected status. Um, Ohio protects military status. Ohio is my state. Ohio protects military status as a protected status. So, you know, if you are, you know, using your Google JD to find a handbook, um, that's one area, for example, that is hyper state specific where you may have huge gaps. And then, just a sexual harassment policy in general or a harassment policy in general. Lots of employers, when you think of harassment, you think of sexual harassment, but it's not just sexual harassment that the law prohibits, but it's any protected class harassment. So it's any class that's protected from discrimination is protected from harassment as well. And your workplace anti-harassment policy um, should reflect that. And if I'm looking for a number three, On my hit list of things that are missing from handbooks, um, I would say FMLA in general, but I see it both being over-inclusive and under-inclusive. I see lots of FMLA policies, um, policies that will bind an employer to follow the Family Medical Leave Act Mm -hmm. in handbooks for businesses that are smaller than 50 employees that are outside the coverage of the Family Medical Leave Act. Um, and courts have held that if you have an FMLA policy um, that you give to employees, even if you're not covered by the FMLA because you're too small, you have now what the, the legal term is estoppel, but you essentially, because you've represented that you're covered by the statute, you can't then later deny that the statute applies to you. And so that's mistake number one on the FMLA. And then I see it on the other side where employers that are big enough to be covered by the FMLA just don't have that policy in their handbook. And so it's, it's both, you know, a sin of, of over-inclusion and a sin of, and a sin of under-inclusion depending on the, depending on the company. Yeah. Wow. Those are three big ones. Since you mentioned like including things and not including things, what, what is the general guideline for workplace rules? Because I see employers trying to list every reason that somebody could be written up or fired and then other places with nothing. It, is there a good medium or is there just a good paragraph? 
uh, you know, it really, it's going to depend on the business. Um, certainly if you're going to give a, that laundry list of examples of reasons that an employee can be disciplined, um, you got to leave yourself some wiggle room because mm -hmm. you don't want to, you don't, you don't want to forget to include like sleeping on the job. It's <laughs> a reason that an employee can be disciplined and then, um, not leave yourself wiggle room to say, you know, this list is, you know, not is this, this list, list, this list is not exclusive or, um, you know, management retains a discretion to, to discipline or terminate an employee, um, for any reason, right. Under, you know, any reason that management sees fit or whatever, you know, I, I don't want to be sitting in a deposition where you terminate an employee for sleeping on the job and have to look at a handbook policy that, that, that is, doesn't have that discretionary language built in that, um, that, uh, doesn't, doesn't have that wiggle room. So, mm -hmm. um, you, you've got to at least have discretion built into the policy. Um, can I go back and amend my earlier answer and add a, fourth thing, <laughs> add a fourth thing that drives me nuts when I, when I review employee handbooks? Please. Um, progressive discipline, absolute progressive discipline po policies absolutely drive me bonkers. Um, they are, Largely in non-collectively bargained workplaces, they're, they're holdovers from old collective bargaining agreements mm -hmm. or there is this belief that employees are entitled to progressive discipline. That comes from union workplaces, unions, labor unions almost always bargain for progressive discipline. That is steps that have to be followed before you can terminate an employee. And I get an employee handbook where there's no labor union and it says – you know, for the first offense, an employee will get a verbal warning. In the second offense, the employee will get a written warning. Mm -hmm. In the third offense, the employee will get a final written warning. And finally, the employee will be terminated. And then the employee has the right to file a grievance over their termination and whatever. Drives me absolutely <laughs> up a wall. Um, employers, you don't have to give your employees chances. Um, you have to allow yourself discretion to impose whatever discipline you see fit, as long as you're consistent in how you're meeting out that discipline across employees so that an African-American employee can come to you and say, well, you know, Jimmy, who's white, fell asleep on the job and you only gave him a written warning and I fell asleep on the job and you fired me and therefore it's, it's discrimination. It, you, you have to be consistent in how you apply that discretion mm -hmm. within reason, but you gotta, you gotta keep that discretion for yourself so that you're not locked into a lockstep, like step one, step two, step three, step four, um, because you just, there's nothing in the law that says you have to do that. Yeah. Great. Well, I can imagine people are pulling and dusting off those handbooks and looking at it finally with a little more than, hey, we need to change the logo on the front. They certainly need to pay attention to the insides. And having someone like you be able to review that and be able to at least um, make sure that we've hit off those top four and we have it on some sort of annual or semi-annual review cycle um, would be really helpful. It does seem like the laws are exponentially changing um, it just seems quicker. I'm not sure if that's truly the case because in other areas, it seems like the laws take forever to change. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Um, it, it does feel like the laws change a lot in employment law. I mean, employment law, it just gets litigated a lot. Mm -hmm. um, you know, 25% of the cases that are filed in the federal courts are employment cases. It's just, it's the most 
the most popular type of litigation mm-hmm. that's filed in courts. Um, and so um, judicial decisions, once they kind of work their way up through the court systems into courts of appeals um, and on up the chain, um, they even without legislatures coming in and, you know, saying this is what, you know, this is this is the law by statute. Um, courts have huge impacts. And because employment cases get litigated so frequently, we see a lot of court decisions that have that have real impact. And we also have, you know, very active agencies on the federal level that make policy as well. We have, you know, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and the Department of Labor, uh, which includes, um, you know, uh, OSHA that regulates safety and the wage and hour division that regulates uh, wage and hour. And we have the National Labor Relations Board that Mm -hmm. uh, has been really active in the area, particularly of workplace policies and employee handbooks because of the, um, uh, what I mentioned earlier about the rules surrounding protected concerted activity. And so the rules, you know, the rules change a lot because of just how often we see these issues raised, um, uh, in the courts and at the federal agencies. Um, and so it's just, it is, it's for that reason that I really recommend that these be reviewed and updated at least annually so that employers can make sure that their policies are up to date with whatever those most, whatever those most recent changes are. Yeah, I, I actually tell my students at USF that um, you need to know when to say I love you. But your next three important words are protected, concerted activity. And that they need to know those as well and be sure to understand what it means. And I, they always wonder about that. But it certainly catches their ear. And it is such an important thing for exactly what's going on today. John, we do want to have you back to talk about the craft beer practice group. Um, but before we wrap up this particular segment, I want to make sure we put a um, – a shout out for the wonderful blog or excuse me, podcast you're doing with your daughter. How did that start and what's going on with it? The Nora and Dad Show. The Nora and Dad Show, Nora and Dad Show uh, if you wanna find that has all the links to all the various podcast apps and what have you. Um it started actually through another podcast called Rock in the Suburbs, uh, which is a podcast that my daughter, who's a musician, she's 16, she just turned 16, but she's a musician. And over COVID, um, she got hooked up with a podcast that I've been listening to for a long time called Rock in the Suburbs. They've done this, like they did a Friday night song circle over Zoom oh. where she would go on with a bunch of people and play me. I said it was, it was her hangout with a bunch of 50-year-old guys on a Friday night, which is really what it was. <laughs> um, but um their hosts that I've become friendly with over the years took a vacation in December and were looking for guest hosts. And they asked if um, Nora and I would do it, would record a guest episode, which we did. We talked about, she's my concert buddy. Um, we go to, uh, in the before times, we would go to a lot of concerts together. And so we did an episode, we recorded an episode on um, our experiences going to concerts. And when we got done, she was like, ah, that was a lot of fun. Maybe we should start a podcast. And, uh, and we did. And so we record, uh, it's somewhat <laughs> on a somewhat regular weekly basis, although sometimes life gets <laughs> in the way. Um, but it comes out most Tuesday mornings. Um, and we talk about, I mean, we've had some light episodes that cover, um, you know, like our favorite vacations or our pets, um, or talking about grandparents. And we've had some like heavy, heavier episodes that have covered like her, um, time at, 
in the psychiatric ward of a of a local hospital earlier this year. Mm. We've talked about a, we've talked about um, abortion rights in the wake of the leaked Supreme Court opinion, and so we, we've we talked about Ukraine. So we've had some heavier episodes mm-hmm. too. It kind of just depends on kind of where kind of where the the where the mood takes us when we're sitting down to record on a on a Saturday or a Sunday. So it's it's been um, a really amazing bonding experience with my daughter and yeah. we'll keep doing it. We, you know, we'll keep doing it as long as she wants to do it. So, yeah, I had a very close relationship with my dad and I'm very jealous of that because we could have gone on and on for hours with what I call dad lectures. And every time he ever started, <laughs> I would say, is this number 114 or 110? And uh, I could only do that as an adult. As a kid, I didn't dare do that. But uh, yeah, we'll make sure we have the link to it down in the episode information. And uh, John, I really appreciate you being here with us today today and bringing us as HR professionals and also our small business folks and our big business folks who have started listening to give us some of those um, potholes that happen in our employee handbook and what we should be looking out for. I appreciate you taking the time with us today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much.